To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Just like yeah. Anyway, uh, so I, I want to, so picking up from where we were, where we left off, Wallace Wells. There was plenty of messaging about the coming Omicron wave, but I also think about the CDC's switch to five-day quarantine guidance from a 10-day quarantine guidance, which happened right in the midst of that wave. You were loosening CDC guidance just as the country was heading into the biggest spike of infections in the whole pandemic. And the two months after that guidance was changed featured the second largest spike of deaths in the whole pandemic. Walensky, I would love to unpack that moment. Wallace Wells, please do. Walensky, so it was Christmas. (laughs) Literally Christmas. Literally Christmas. I mean, it was the few days before and the few days after. People in the country weren't testing. They were not actually adhering to 10 days of quarantine and couldn't. The calls that I was getting are pharmacies in Minnesota that don't have pharmacists because they were out sick. Patients can't get their diabetes meds. FedEx could not deliver dialysate, and dialysis units were being closed. ICUs had beds but they didn't have healthcare workers. And so the question was, from a harm reduction standpoint, how do you decrease the harm associated with what was happening at the moment? And the answer was, if people are not going to stay home for 10 days, let's have them stay home for the five most important days, the days that they are the most infectious. If you're not going to stay home for 10, let's see if you can stay home for the five most infectious days. And that was the issue around the guidance. People were not doing what needed to be done. It was your fault. Yeah. It's the children who are wrong. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Well, I mean, it just reminds me uh, not to throw this again back to like, you know, the early days of like understanding the average man and and phrenology and quetelet and all this shit we've been talking about. But like, you know, one of the things that I, I just can't stop thinking about also is how this is such a good example of like that kind of classic idea that's all caught up in in eugenics and phrenology, which is the idea that like, you know, the members of the ruling class, they have a superior ability to reason and members of the working and surplus class have an inferior ability to reason and sort of see their circumstances. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you think about how like phrenology is really more like a popularization Uh, It's like a it's a massification of the idea of the average man. It's a kind of pop science phenomenon. Right. And really, one of the things that it does is it allows the the kind of middle class as an idea to imagine themselves as a kind of statistical collective. Right. And so what's also going on here is that, you know, this kind of collective of people that may be questioning this move, right, who are saying like, well, why did we make this decision? You know, why are we sort of prioritizing the needs of Walgreens, right, and not the needs of the pharmacist who may be sick at home and need those 10 days off, right? Like, this frames it all on the pharmacists themselves, all on people who are disobeying the rules on people who are making, you know, selfish decisions or uninformed decisions because they lacked the superior ruling class intellect that Walensky herself has and is telling, you know, pointing to David Wallace Wells, like, you have superior intellect too. We both are smart people here. Think of all those people who aren't smart, who just don't listen and just, you know, go to work anyways. Well, you know? and, but this well, is the thing. Like, yeah. So Walensky says, quote, 
they were not actually adhering to 10 days of quarantine and couldn't like just this you know, she general, made it like royal they <laughs> right well not only did you make it impossible for them maybe two things one uh you completely reneged on your on like the administration the administration mm-hmm. itself like completely reneged on its promise to put in place strong osha protections over mm-hmm. covid guidance um, yep. and two uh hmm, maybe they don't have paid leave Another thing that mm-hmm. we've completely failed to make that like the Biden administration has completely sidelined. I mean, and maybe almost too basic of a point to even make, but what what is really uh okay, she's got this whole sob story, right? It's Christmas. <laughs> um like society is breaking down. Society's breaking down at Christmas um, of all um, times. What I'm sorry, what caused the disruption Walensky is talking about? Was um, it the guidance? Thing. I mean, yeah. in Trump a certain sense, the, maybe the lack of masking guidance is Yeah, you remember culprit, how hard they pushed everyone the to still virus. travel, still yeah. do your stuff, still do your holiday, just like normal. Omicron's going to be fine if you're vaccinated. You know, like if you're unvaccinated, you're going to die. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. well, and, uh, you know, like you, you could say, okay, this is fucking nitpicking. What does this accomplish? Like... No, what does this framing accomplish, really, that Walensky's doing here, right? What this does is it says, you know what, this decision, regardless of the information that it was based on, this was about weighing the needs of people who need their medications and the society against the needs of sick workers on Christmas who you're sending to work, right? Like, you're literally saying this is a zero-sum world in which the only answer is someone goes sick to work and spreads COVID on Christmas or someone goes without their medication as if there is no other option possible on the horizon other than those two things. It's one or the other, a zero-sum game. One person has to suffer. One person has to be exposed to COVID for the other one to work or to be there, right? And it invites the reader and, and the kind of larger audience of the New York Times to imagine themselves not in the position of the worker who's getting fucked over by the change in guidance, not in the position of the suffering that they may have experienced because they were forced to go back to work, still sick with COVID in the past. But no, imagine yourselves in the position of the person who can't pick up their medication because the pharmacist is staying home sick with COVID, right? Like, this is a this is an invitation for the person who's experiencing and, and understanding her message in this interview to not imagine themselves in a collective who was let down by the lack of OSHA protections, not in a collective who was let down by changes in CDC guidance, but to imagine themselves as a statistical collective of people who had their needs met by these changes, yeah. right? It's an incredibly insidious rhetorical framing, and it's really part of this idea of like think of yourself in that large average and this policy should be for you well and that's why i mean that the pharmacy thing is a misdirection because obviously it's important for everyone to be able to get stuff from the pharmacy but i think obviously the the thing that's going unsaid here is so much of the actual priority was clearly like was the mall open i mean it's christmas these airline CEOs are breathing down my fucking neck you know what i mean like literally fielding text messages like you wouldn't believe so um, yeah all of it i want to uh continue on though because this the the rest of this isolation guidance thing is pretty interesting and it circles right back into um breakthrough deaths stuff in a way that works in a really interesting way so uh, i'm skipping just a little bit 
But Wallace Wells says then, so the issues you're raising are obviously important. There are some whole of society costs to certain broad mitigation measures. But that also sounds a lot like the logic offered by mitigation skeptics in 2020, that the costs of these measures outweighed the benefits. Nice. <laughs> Walensky, <laughs> I think you're painting a very different picture than the one we painted at the time. <laughs> Wrong. In 2021, we knew that you, sorry, in 2021, we knew when you were maximally infectious, we had a vaccine. We knew people should get vaccinated and we were not suggesting bars should be open. I mean, we wanted you to make sure that hospitals. Not suggesting bars. Yeah. yeah. What are you talking about? We wanted to make sure that hospitals were open and we needed people to work in them. So we were saying that you should mask and we were saying you had the most infectious variant that we've ever seen before. We were putting out these warnings. We were doing press conferences. We were conveying the science and the importance of getting vaccinated. So I take issue with your parallel. It's a very salty answer. Wallace Wells, of course there were differences, but the deaths tell the story. The Omicron wave was the second highest mortality peak of the whole pandemic. I don't think you can look at that data and say that this was a safer time to loosen up guidance than at previous points in the pandemic. Walensky, I think you're imposing causality here where there isn't any suggesting that the change in guidance from 10 days to five days led to a certain amount of deaths. Ugh. Fuck you. Whatever what a you have fucking to, response. I what mean, whatever you to have say. to tell yourself to be able to get to sleep at night. Like you want to say I that mean, there's no causality there that like, Oh my God. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes, and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the death panel.